Governors for Term Limits. Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Term Limits Movement for the week of June 28th, 2021. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. In 2017, the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia held a town hall forum on term limits. After some panels, sharing the marquee was Pennsylvania Governor Ed Rendell, a Democrat, and then-Congress member Ron DeSantis, now a Republican governor of Florida. Since then, Governor DeSantis has risen to some national prominence, and it's worth looking back at this important and persuasive bipartisan event at the birthplace of the U.S. Constitution. U.S. Term Limits Executive Director Nick Tombalides and I will return next week with our usual Term Limits News Roundup and banter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the concluding keynote conversation of this really fascinating evening. We are so lucky to have joining Representative DeSantis, uh, Governor Ed Rendell. The governor, as all of us know him here, is uh, first of all a dear friend of and the vice chair of the National Constitution Center, uh, the founding father of the NCC. Without him, this incredible institution would not have been created. I want you to give him a round of applause for that. (laughs) And in addition to that great gift that he gave to the nation, uh, he is one of the America's most astute political observers, commentators, successful politicians, and in a really dramatic twist, he moved from once opposing term limits to coming to support them. So, Gov, let's be, well, you can applaud that as well. Governor, why did you change your mind? Well, first, let me begin by complimenting all of you for being here. When uh, I spoke to Vince Stango and he said, we have a packed house. I said, that's amazing, given the weather and how cold it is and the winds. And then he said, well, people prepaid. (laughs) (laughs) which made you all a little bit less noble Um, (laughs) well for most of my political career and uh, for Congressman DeSantis I've held elective office for 24 years eight years as DA not term limited I could have continued Uh, eight years as mayor term limited and eight years as governor term limited And for most of my 24 years, I absolutely uh, supported term limits for executives. Because I just think you run out of steam, you run out of ideas. uh, It's it's too much of a burden almost physically to do it. Uh, And I think it's good to have someone come in with a new outlook every eight years in an executive position. But I always believe that the institutional knowledge of having people in a legislative body for 14, 16, 18 years was good and was important, and uh, I, I was against it. And, and my theory was, look, we do have term limits, the voters. But as all the things that have occurred in the country for so long, uh, for the last couple of decades, but my experience as governor was what convinced me we needed term limits. Um, first, in Harrisburg, when I came into office, as you recall, I proposed the second biggest tax increase in the state's history. I did so because we had a $2.4 billion deficit that I inherited from the Republican predecessor, and I wanted to put a half a billion dollars into early childhood education. We were one of only nine states that didn't give a nickel to early childhood education. 
We had a bitter budget battle that lasted till December 21st. Um, I had Democrats come up to me and said, Governor, I know we need this money for education, but I'm two years away from my pension. I heard the congressman talk about getting rid of pensions. Absolutely, let's, <laughs> if we do nothing else, let's get rid of pensions. <laughs> because there are people out there who literally hang on until they, they're qualified for their pensions. I don't believe it's polarization alone that's killing the country, although it's part of it. It's the fact that we are, as I wrote in 2012 in a book, which not enough of you bought, <laughs> we have become a nation of wusses, and our, leaders, <laughs> and our leaders have lost the guts to make us great. And that's true in Springfield, it's true in Albany, it's true in Harrisburg, and it is doubly true in Washington. Wow. Congressman, do you agree that we've become a nation of wusses? And then tell us how. <laughs> well, actually, let me start with that. What's your response to that? Well, look, I, I, that, that's a great story. One, it's just great to have uh, somebody like Governor Rendell here who's done so much at very different levels. You have a great city here, great state. Um, and to have him enlisted in the cause, uh, that means a lot. And I think it's, it's great. Um, but I was really taken aback when he was talking about the budget fight where guys are coming up and it's about their pension. And that, I mean, to me, it's just, mm. you know, I'm just like grabbing, clenching my fist when I hear that because that is not what serving the people is all about. And um, when I got elected, I told the folks with the pension I was gonna decline it. Not because that is gonna make a difference in the dead, it's not, but it was a symbol to my voters that I was going in with their interests in mind and I was not doing it to benefit myself. I could have done other things to do that. And they, people still come up to me today, they really appreciate uh, that, that you were able to do that. So we have incentives like that in Washington. Um, you also have some incentives that are, uh, to me, uh, much more uh, benign. I mean, if you come in and you really want to do good things, you get elected to the Congress, what do people tell you? Well, you just got to wait in line. You know, you got guys that are way more senior to you. Uh, don't rock the boat. Don't get out of step with anybody. Just kind of keep your head down, raise money for people, play the game, and that's how you advance. And so if you don't like the way Washington works, you're kind of in a conundrum because you have to play the game in order to eventually advance in the game. And as a guy, as a military guy, it's frustrating with so much being based on seniority because in the military, your rank is determined by merit. So I could be somebody who is a, a Navy captain in 06, and maybe somebody is a commander one rank below me, but they've been in for six years longer than me. Guess what? I'm, I'm the superior officer because I've earned it. It's not just because I've hung around a long time. Unfortunately, in Washington, those are kind of the incentives. And so I think if you had term limits, you would get people from a wider variety of, of parts of American life, not necessarily people who were dedicated to be in politics for 40 years. And some of the people who've been in for 40 years um, have done a good job, many have not. Um, but the key is, is why don't we get people who come and want to just be in it for like six years? It's really not worth it right now to be in the House if you only want to dedicate six or eight years to being in the House of Representatives because you're never going to be able to chair a committee. You're not going to be in the leadership. You're going to kind of be one cog in the machine. Very difficult to have any individuality. So I think term limits helps the incentives that we face now in Washington. And I is much of a supporter as I am, I'm not going to say that this is a panacea for everything, but I think it would help get us in a better direction going and, and forward. Jeff, can I just jump in real quick? The average 
term of service of committee chairs in the House is 27 years. That means that they started when Lyndon Johnson was president. Wow. Well, well, so say more about that because, Governor, the congressman says Democrats should favor term limits because it'll give them chairmanships more quickly. What is the politics of term limits among Democrats? How much bipartisan support does this have? Uh, it's, it's usually viewed as more of a Republican issue. It emanated from the contract uh, for America. Uh, where many people who got elected that year lived up to it. They voluntarily stepped down. Many people, unfortunately, didn't. Um, that's not a commentary on the people who were elected in, uh, <laughs> in 2004. But, uh, um, and uh, 1994. Um, the, the, it's, so then the Tea Party took up the issue and the refrain. So it's mostly viewed as a uh, issue that comes from the right or a Republican issue. Um, d Democrats, we don't have, an, and I heard the congressman speaking about the term limits for chairs that the Republicans put in. It's a good idea. We don't have it. And as a result, our chairs are really old. And, and uh, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be talking about really old, but they're really old. <laughs> And there isn't the movement that the congressman said, which is, I think, an important thing. You go to any business and say to young people going in, you have to wait 20 years before you're going to have a decision-making role in the business. They're gone. They're gone. And so I think Democrats have been more reluctant to get on this issue than, than, than Republicans have. But I think you'll find, interestingly, Democrats who served in executive positions in state government will be more in favor of term limits because they've seen what happens in Harrisburg and Springfield and Sacramento. Uh, Congressman, more about the mechanics of running for office, the kind of money you have to raise, and how term limits would make the incentives better. So it's a, you often hear people say against term limits, hey, vote them out. You have the choice. Every election's a term <laughs> limit. And in theory, that's 100% correct. In practice, it's not true at all. Uh, and the reason is, in order to run for office right now, you have to do it in the context of a system that's been designed by incumbents to benefit incumbents. And so take for me, for example, I ran for Congress in 2012. I had never run for office in my life. I was not, I don't have a famous name or anything like that. I'm not wealthy enough to fund my campaign. So guys like me in my freshman class, there were like a handful of us who went from just a private citizen to Congress without having been elected to anything before, have the family name, famous name, or have your own money that you can spend. The reason is, is because it's very difficult when districts have 700,000 people to get known by the voters. Uh, it costs money to do it. It takes a lot of time and effort to do it. Maybe in Congress you can do a lot of grassroots. I did where you knock on the doors in a primary, um, but even that is not gonna get you. So you have to be able to raise enough money to get your name out there so that people know who you are and then obviously know who you stand for. And when you're in a country where, regardless of how you even draw the districts, most of the districts are going to go one party or the other, your only hope is to do that, to defeat an incumbent in a party primary. Well, guess what? All the donors who typically give to candidates, 
they usually are never going to go against an incumbent, certainly none of the people in the influence industry, but even people back in the district, some business guy that just, not that they want anything, but maybe if they have an issue with an agency, they can kind of call a congressman or something, they're not going to want to give against. So the, the barriers to entry are very high the way we're doing it. Um, it's difficult to get known if you're not already known. And I think of my freshman class, I don't know, we had 30 members who came in new in 2012. I would say the overwhelming, overwhelming majority were either people who had held elective office and developed kind of a network, people who had famous names, um, legacies. I think we had, I think Joe Kennedy was in my class, um, or people that just funded their own campaign and didn't have to worry about it. And I'm not saying that those folks have done a bad job. Many of them have done a good job. But that, if you limit it to those people, that is a very, very small segment of American society that really has a, a, a functional opportunity to run for something like the United States Congress. Hi, this is Ken Quinn, Regional Director with U.S. Term Limits. In today's Article 5 in the Flash segment, I just want to ask you a question. Take a guess how many amendments have been introduced by Congress since 1789. I think you're going to find the answer quite surprising. I'm going to give you a few hints. There are currently 27 amendments that have been added to our Constitution. That means they were ratified by the three-fourths of the states needed. There are actually six amendments that were proposed by Congress that were never ratified in our history. Now, in order for Congress to propose an amendment, it requires two-thirds of both houses to basically pass the amendment and then send it out for ratification. Now, I want to ask you, how many had just been simply introduced? Meaning they didn't get the two-thirds needed, but someone in Congress introduced a reform as an amendment that they would like to see added to the Constitution. You know, maybe a hundred? Would you guess a hundred amendments? Well, it's a little bit higher than that. How about a thousand? That seems like quite a few, doesn't it? No, it's, it's more than that. Okay, 10,000? Actually, the answer is over 12,000 amendments have been introduced by Congress since 1789. In fact, this year alone in this Congress, I checked recently, there's over 40 amendments that have been introduced by a member of Congress. Now, many of these are great reforms that our country needs. Unfortunately, Congress cannot get its act together to pass it by the two-thirds needed so the states could then have an opportunity to ratify. That's what we're trying to do at U.S. Term Limits. We are working on a Congressional Term Limits Amendment, but we're not going to depend on Congress to do it. We want the state legislatures to do it so that we can finally get this done on behalf of the American people. To learn more, please visit termlimits.com forward slash debunking myths. There you can find more flashcards relating to either the Article 5 convention or congressional term limits. Thank you. Governor, what about this claim that term limits would reduce the role of money in politics? I just moderated a fascinating seminar of state elected officials and they said that you had to be a millionaire to be elected governor of, say, Tennessee. You couldn't be known otherwise. Would term limits help that question? And are there other things that could reduce the role of money? Oh, there are plenty of other things that could reduce the role of money. I'll, I'll say one thing on a federal level. We should pass a law, and I think down deep, everyone would be in favor of this prospectively. They wouldn't be in favor for their own election, but prospectively. No one who's a registered lobbyist in Washington can give or raise money for a congressman or a senator. Bingo. 
that changes the whole dynamic. It changes the whole dynamic, and, and it makes sense. Let the lobbyists earn their money by the cogency of their arguments. And by the way, the best lobbyists in Harrisburg, and as, even as governor, I would talk to lobbyists, I'd give them an audience. The best lobbyists in Harrisburg were the ones that did the most research, that had the best arguments. They're the ones who maybe didn't get me to change my mind, but got me to modify stuff. And that, that's a rule that ought to be passed for the good of everyone, for the good of everyone. And that would also diminish the power of incumbency, because incumbents raise their money from lobbyists to, a, to the greatest degree. I mean, isn't it true that there's a, a Monday through Thursday when the House is in session and the Senate in session, there's at least one fundraiser on it virtually every night? Oh, I mean, I would, I mean, not necessarily for each individual member, but there's constantly, there's the Republicans and Democrats both have built like clubs like right off campus because you can't do it in a federal building. So there's constantly coffees, lunches, things that are going on uh, in both of those. And yes, when you're in Washington, it's, uh, you're raising money from within people who have interest before the Congress. It's not as true when you get into your district, to be honest with you. I mean, the vast majority, I ran for the Senate. I was trying to run for the Senate because Senator Rubio said he wasn't going to run for re-election. Hundred times, changed his mind. So I ran, but um, so I had to go and, and raise money. And when they did like who, what industries given to Ron DeSantis, my number one industry by far was retired. So these are people that were retired, but they because it's it's a different ball game in your state or in your district by and large that compared to Washington. So so I do think that there's a lot of a lot of truth to. Uh, just how the inside Washington, and I'll tell you, if you look at people who uh, do a good job, I think on both sides of the aisle, the people who raise a higher percentage of their campaign money from regular citizens vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Washington tend to be people who I think are doing a better job on both sides of the aisle. The way I would try to do it, and, and I'm not involved in the movement, although I, I'm gonna tell Congressman DeSantis if he needs me to speak out at any forum, I'm happy to do it. But the way I would do it is go to Congress, and, and, and someone made the point at the end that it has to be a front burner issue for, for the public. But if enough people go to Congress and say, we want this, and then tell the Congress, you can grandfather everybody. Grandfather everybody that's here right now. The day it passes, grandfather them. And then you get Congress to pass it. We've actually, uh, I've worked with uh, U.S. Term Limits and Howie Rich. We developed that last Congress. And the, uh, the idea is, is people will say, well, why would they kick themselves out of office? And it's not just kind of impure self-interest. I mean, some of these guys have been working for eight, ten years there. Maybe they're in line to be a chairman or something. They put in a lot of time to be able to do stuff. I can understand why they wouldn't want to vote for something that's going to short circuit right. everything they work for. So if you tell them, if you're grandfathering in saying, look, you joined under different rules, uh, we're going to put term limits in, and then when new people come in, it's going to apply to them, then they have the situation where their own personal self-interest of advancing in the Congress, whether on, you know, good self-interest, bad self-interest, whatever, and the voters' interests and overwhelmingly support that, well, there's no longer a conflict there. So I think grandfathering is probably the one way where it is plausible to get it through the Congress. And even though I support doing the convention route, if we can do it through the Congress, that's been tried and true. Let's go ahead and do it and make a compromise like that. To me, I'd be all in favor of. 
why you think that the states should be able to impose term limits and basically why term limits are a good idea. Term limits for themselves, you know, of course no, they on, can. On, on no, Congress. Congress. Yeah, for Congress. Why is it a good idea? Summing up, make, you know, make the case to the audience. Well, I actually don't care how it happens. I think we need to make it happen. And whether the states can do it or whether the Congress can do it or whether it's a constitutional convention, I, I think the issue transcends the process. Sometimes the process is important. I, to, to be honest, Jeff, I don't know the legalities of the, of, of the decision enough to, to comment on it. But it's, you can say the states are closer to the people than the Congress is. And, and to some extent, that's true. Uh, the smaller government is, the closer it is to the public. Uh, uh, if you're a congressman, you represent how many people now? 787,000. When you're a state legislator, you represent maybe 150,000. So you tend to be a little closer and have a little bit more dialogue. So that's probably the reason it would be good to start in the states. But, but look, it's the get away from the process and think about the substance. Sometimes, often in American politics, we get caught up in the process so much that we forget about the substance. And keep our eye on the ball, the substance here, it will serve us well to have term limits. Uh, it, it will help a little bit on the polarization, help a little bit diminish the, the influence of money, and help an awful lot in courage. I mean, the, those guys who came to me with, with their pension and said, I know the kids need the money for education, they almost had tears in their eyes. And I just felt like grabbing them by the lapels and say, man up. First of all, you're not going to lose. You're not going to lose. And they didn't. But man up and, and do it. I, to get the necessary votes for my tax increase, I had to give the 18 Republicans in the House who put us over the top, I had to give them letters saying that I wouldn't campaign against them, and if their Democratic opponent or a primary opponent campaigned against them for voting for the income tax increase, that I would campaign for them or I would write a letter for them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we've got to make this work again. And I believe term limits is an important facet in getting our government to be more responsive. As I think I heard Congressman DeSantis say in his summation in the prior panel, look, They've got to be thinking about what's right for, for all of you, not what's right for them. Beautiful. All right, Congressman, you get definitely <laughs> applause for the governor. Congressman, you get the last word. I'm going to take the process issue out uh, and ask you to make the case for the audience for why you think that Congress should propose an amendment, a term limits amendment. There's one argument that it hasn't necessarily been brought up, but sometimes it's argued against term limits that we have all this expertise and that if we don't do it, no one's going to know what's going on. And uh, look, there's some members who have been very knowledgeable that I've seen. Don't get me wrong. And this is not a broadside against all of them. But I mean, Congress isn't exactly lighting the world on fire right now. We have 320 <laughs> million people in this country. We got people that are very talented. There's not one person walking the halls of that Congress that is indispensable, not even close. And it's, it's kind of fitting that we're here in Philadelphia because, you know, the one guy who presided, George Washington, um, over the convention, obviously the first president, he, well, first he re surrendered his sword as the commanding general after he won the revolution, earth-shattering thing to give up power like that, and then he walked away from the presidency. 
after two terms and set this precedent. And it was a very important precedent because Washington, if anyone was indispensable, he was indispensable. He said, you know what? No, we'll have a new president and the republic is going to endure because it's a government of laws, not a government of men. And I think that that kind of spirit, uh, we're much more likely to get a return to that if we have term limits, if it's not a 20, 30, 40 year vocation, uh, where yes, you're in touch with the people because you do got to get reelected a couple times, but your whole life is not consumed with how to position yourself to be in Washington uh, for your whole adult life. Great job. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Good luck. That was good. Good luck. Good luck. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. The term limits convention bills are moving through the state legislatures. This could be a breakthrough year for the term limits movement. To check on the status of the term limits convention resolution in your state, go to termlimits.com slash take action. There, you will see if it has been introduced and where it stands in the committee process on its way to the floor vote. If there's action to take, you'll see a take action button by your state. Click it. This will give you the opportunity to send a message to the most relevant legislators, urging them to support the legislation. They have to know you're watching. That's turnlimits.com slash take action. If your state has already passed the Turn Limits Convention resolution, or the bill's not been introduced in your state, you can still help. Please consider making a contribution to U.S. term limits. It is our aim to hit the reset button on the U.S. Congress, and you can help. Go to turnlimits.com slash donate termlimits.com slash donate. Thanks. We'll be back next week. Contact your state lawmakers before they vote on term limits for Congress. Go to termlimits.com slash take action. STL. Yeah.